0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Greg Marchand. He's a OBGYN, and our topic is going to, we're going to be discussing, he discusses and warns women not to let your doctor tie your tubes, have them removed instead, which I guess is somewhat of a controversial topic right now. Women have long had their fallopian tubes tied for birth control. But new research co-authored by master surgeon Dr. Greg Marchand shows that having them removed is a safe and effective alternative. He is co-author of a 2020 study in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology on the merits of surgical removal of a fallopian tube versus a tubal ligation. The study, a systematic review and meta-analysis found few differences between the procedures with no differences in most important clinical outcomes, which could be blood loss, length of hospital stay, et cetera. We'll be talking about that during the conversation with the doctor. He's the director of the Marchand Institute for Minimally Invasive Surgery and was recently honored with a world record for performing a total laparoscopic hysterectomy through the smallest incision ever. Welcome to the show, doctor. Nice to have you on this morning.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, should I ask you, is this a hot topic? Is this what women are doing, having their t- tubes tied um, well, as opposed to having surgery or as opposed to having using any other kind of birth control? Uh, what are the numbers? What are we talking about?
1: Well, I, I don't have the exact numbers, uh, but unfortunately there's still a lot of tube tying going on in the United States, so that's kind of our call to action here uh, if we can get more awareness out there, uh, we can have less tube tying going on and more removal of the fallopian tubes or more uh occurring.
0: So in your study, you're saying that just removing, one of the things I think you said was that it can help pre- prevent cancer if you have your fallopian tubes removed as opposed to tying your tubes?
1: Correct. Yep, and that's that's going to be the issue at the very heart of this. Um, there's been data over the years uh, showing that epithelial ovarian cancer, or the, or the most common form of ovarian cancer, uh, actually starts, or as its its pathologic origin, in the fallopian tube, not actually in the ovary. Um, so it, it's actually been proven now in research that by removing the fallopian tubes, uh, you can very, very much decrease a woman's chance of getting ovarian cancer in her lifetime. And this is kind of exciting stuff because if you think about it, that gives us a chance to uh, decrease a woman's risk of ovarian cancer uh, without, without removing her ovaries, actually without even touching her ovaries, uh, which is exciting because the ovary is a very important organ that we don't want to just remove for no reason. On this uh, this really started uh, in 2015 when the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology first put out their committee opinion that we should be doing this. Uh, and from that point forward, uh, it's been a campaign of awareness uh, to kind of get people away from tying tubes, which is you know what, what many OBGYNs were taught to do years ago, with many of us had in our training, and kind of move us on to the new technique of uh, removing the fallopian tubes whenever you're in a situation with a woman who wants permanent sterility. Um, so it's been a, a little bit of a challenging campaign to get the word out there to surgeons uh, and to women, uh, but I think we're succeeding. <laughs>
0: Well, oh, that was my question. You said you think you've succeeded. Have you? Because uh, I haven't, I really hadn't heard until I was going to interview you today, but in talking to other women, I've never really heard that saying, well, I'm just having my tubes removed rather than tied because, you know, it can prevent uh, ovarian cancer. And I know that most women that I know are afraid of getting ovarian cancer because. I guess, and you can correct me, you don't really have symptoms until it can be too late and the prognosis is not good, not the same kind of a prognosis, let's say you would get with uterine cancer.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. Ovarian cancer is a horrible cancer. Uh, and as you said, it's most commonly found in stage three uh, when it's already spread and is affecting the abdomen. Uh, so since we really don't have any warning signs for it, we don't really have any, uh, any good tests for picking it up. Uh, You pointed out endometrial cancer, which is generally considered to be a less aggressive cancer. Uh, That's a cancer that we've got a very good warning sign for with postmenopausal bleeding. Um, As for screening tests, we don't have one for ovarian cancer. We very much need one. Um, The CA-125 or the OVA test is very useful as far as if someone already has a tumor, but not in detecting who's going to develop ovarian cancer. Uh, of course, for cervical cancer, we have Pap smears, but we don't really have something effective uh, for picking up ovarian cancer in the early stages. Um, so, so, as you said, this is a, a very horrible cancer. So, anything we can do to reduce the risk of ovarian cancer is going to be very, very valuable.
0: How do you do that? I mean, I, the word I, this is maybe not the word we should be using medically, but you know, marketing this in this research so that the general public, so women know about it, so it becomes sort of, you know, just one of those things that well, pre- and postmenopausal women are very aware of, not just their surgeons or their doctors or their primary care physicians, but they themselves.
1: Well, as a, as a minimally invasive surgeon, this is, it, this is very similar to what we've seen with minimally invasive surgery. Um, you know, if you went back probably 20 years, uh, if your friend told you she needed a hysterectomy, you'd probably be expecting to, that she was going to get, a, you know, a C-section cut, which we call a fan and steel uh, whereas now, uh, we've got over 80% of the hysterectomies being performed in the United States, being performed through minimally invasive surgery, being, uh, being performed through tiny holes, women often going home the same day. Uh, you know, a lot less pain, a lot less recovery, uh, and, and that's the same campaign of awareness that we're hoping for with, with self-injectivity, um, whereas now you might hear of a lot of women who are who are having their tubes tied. Uh, hopefully, as these women start to question their physicians and, and ask, you know, hey, can I get them removed instead? Can I get that benefit? That's going to start pushing more physicians to do this, um, and then eventually, uh, since most, tra- most academic training centers now are teaching uh, tube removal instead of tying, uh, at some point, uh, the the knowledge base among all surgeons is going to be to just go ahead and remove the tube, Uh, but we're certainly not there yet now, uh, and that's why this campaign of awareness is going to be so important uh, for women to ask their physician, you know, am I going to have my tubes removed, can you remove them, Uh, and if, if you can't remove them, why not? Um, there's really not so many situations uh, where removing the tubes isn't feasible. There will be the occasional patient that has a lot of scar tissue in the abdomen. Uh, for example, maybe somebody with very severe endometriosis or someone that's had a, uh, a lot of surgeries in the pelvis or a or severe pelvic infection. Uh, but outside of those pretty rare situations, it's usually feasible to remove the fallopian tubes, and there really aren't a lot of reasons not to do it.
0: Is this part of what you would call robotic surgery? Is this, this, is this what we're talking about?
1: A robotic surgery is definitely one way you could remove the fallopian tubes. Robotic surgery is uh, one form of minimally invasive surgery where you're going through small holes. Uh, and then once, you're, uh, once you've made the small incisions, you attach a robot uh, to the patient uh, to kind of uh, move the instruments um, uh, you know, through the small holes. In other words, the physician's at a console, kind of looking at the inside of the abdomen like a video game, and uh, can control the uh, the instruments through the robot. Uh, that you could perform a self injectomy like that. Uh, you could also do it uh, through small holes without a robot, something we call straight stick laparoscopy or regular laparoscopy. And there's situations where you would just remove the fallopian tubes in, a, in an open surgical situation. Uh, for example, if you've just performed a C-section and delivered a baby, uh, the fallopian tubes are right in front of you at that point. Um, and uh, you know, through this campaign of awareness, we would definitely suggest removing the fallopian tubes instead of just tying them. Um, if, you know, in essentially all cases, uh, to give women that benefit of a decreased risk of ovarian cancer.
0: So you're saying you would do it, you just mentioned you said if you have just had a baby that you could do the surgery at the same time. Isn't one of the reasons maybe you wouldn't because maybe, you know, there are really two different events in a woman's life and maybe at that point, I know having had three kids, I'd say remove everything. And, you know, it was because having gone through the ordeal or, you know, the the experience, but maybe two weeks from then, I wouldn't say the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like there's an emotional component to it.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're you're bringing a very, very important topic here of surgical consent. Um, So that's why I think the the topic of sterilization uh, really has to be something that starts early in prenatal care. Um, it, something that really should be started at the first visits, and if this is something a, a woman really wants to be sterilized at time of cesarean section, uh, you, you know, it's something you should have discussed with far in advance with her. I mean, as a physician, you should discuss it far in advance with her, uh, so you make sure that her her wishes uh, are being honored. It would really not be a, a, a very correct thing to do. to first bring it up in a woman just before she's about to have a major surgery. Um, you know, certainly I can speak to having had major surgeries. Uh, that's not the moment to be making other life decisions, um, like something like permanent sterilization. Uh, so, uh, it, but I, certainly, if, I, if a physician has talked to the patient in advanced, advance, weeks or months in advance during prenatal care, it's certainly reasonable for the woman to make a the decision then, which can then be, uh, you know, carried out at time of C-section and a self injectomy would be preferable in almost all situations uh, for uh, for permanent sterilization when you're performing a cesarean section. Yeah, you,
0: know, you know, it's interesting because there are a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of stuff comes into play. I'm thinking about permanent. Sterilization um, and when you attach it to the to a woman's health, like preventing ovarian cancer, it's one thing it's sometimes been attached to well, you won't have any more babies and you only want two or three babies, and then the argument is, well, what isn't your partner what it's easier to have you know a vasectomy than it is to remove your tubes or have them tied, I guess, but it puts it in a different. It, you know, it, it's really strictly, well, it becomes related to your own health. And that I, to me, that sounds very different.
1: Uh, yes, uh, it's, the recommendation is not there currently um, as far as encouraging a woman instead of a man in a, in a relationship uh, to have sterilization just for the, for the benefit of ovarian cancer risk reduction. Um, we don't have the data to make that kind of recommendation yet. Um, but it is interesting that you're bringing it up. It may be something we suggest in the future. Um, if, uh, if a woman is planning on sterilization or if a couple needs sterilization, uh, you're very correct that a, uh, of a vasectomy performed on a male. I'm certainly not a urologic surgeon, um, but that's uh, a lot less invasive surgery uh, than a, a tubal ligation or, or removal of the fallopian tubes uh, because it's something that can be performed externally because the uh, uh, the vas deferens uh, and a vasectomy that you're uh, you're ligating are going to be very close to the skin. It's something that can be done in an office. Uh, whereas to tie the fallopian tubes, you're going to have to enter the woman's abdomen. Um, so, so you certainly bring up bring up a very good point uh, that for a lot of couples that need uh, permanent sterilization, a vasectomy is, is certainly something to be to, to be considered. Uh, that, that's more minimally invasive than a than a tubal ligation or a removal of the fallopian tubes.
0: Uh, tell us about, you said, you know, there's been a lot of, obviously, a lot of research, and uh, we're talking about, I think I mentioned it in the beginning in the intro, a 2020 study. Who did this study? Can we talk about the specifics? You know, where did the study come from? Who? How long was the study and how many people were in it?
1: Um Absolutely. Um, so it's, it was a meta-analysis study, and that's something we do a lot of uh, at my institute, uh, at the Marshall Institute for Minimally invasive Surgery. Um, we like to perform meta-analyses uh, because they give a very high level of data, and uh, really the, the highest levels of data that you can get when you're going to make decisions based on the data is going to be either a meta-analysis or a, a randomized clinical trial, and randomized clinical trials, well, they're pretty expensive to run, and they take a, a lot of staff to, to randomize the patients, and you have to keep the, uh, the physicians running it blinded to the study and the patients blinded to the intervention, so it's, it's rather difficult, but a meta-analysis is a great thing because it can get you essentially the equivalent um, level of data uh, without having to run a big, expensive study like that. Um, so uh, the, the study we performed uh, a meta-analysis. Uh, it w- was looking at all of the available data um, that, uh, that that was a- around, looking at uh, comparing people that are surgeons that performed uh, tube tying versus salpingectomy. Um, and of these studies, uh, uh, eventually uh, we broke it down to 11 studies um, uh, that that we found uh, that were very relevant to this analysis. Um, and uh, by analyzing the data, we were able to show uh, that there really wasn't any excuse uh, for not removing the fallopian tubes. When we looked at the data from the studies, uh, the hospitalization time, uh, the amount of pain that patients were in following the surgeries, the complications with the surgeries, uh, there really wasn't uh, much reason not to perform a self-injectomy. Uh, it showed that uh, self injection was just as effective as tubal ligation. Uh, they weren't staying in the hospital any longer. There weren't any more complications. Uh, there wasn't any more blood loss. Uh, so it uh, it was really some very strong data to encourage surgeons uh, that uh, if you're not already uh, removing the fallopian tubes, then hey, stop tying tubes and start removing them.
0: Now, as a social worker, and I, I think I sort of touched on this a, a bit, but once the surgery is performed and it's done and it's safe and uh what about the the mental health of of women afterwards when you do the follow up you know how they felt about what they did because it is a, a final thing um it is to me you know so there's must be some um you know some sense of okay this is it um, I, I, I can no longer have children is there follow up to that in terms of how um their Uh, Emotional state, or what their emotional state is after having the surgery performed.
1: Absolutely, Um, as I'd already said, uh, most importantly, uh, you know, sterilization should never be a spur of the moment decision. It should not be something ever sprung on a patient. I hope all surgeons out there are are counseling their patients correctly about something as serious as this. Um, You know, it's not something you want sprung on you at at the last minute. Um, now, particularly if you're going to be performing uh, a salpingectomy at time of cesarean section, well, then, you know, not only is it is a mother dealing with the very, uh, very large decision of whether or not to be permanently sterilized, uh, but she's going through the very violent hormonal change of going from the pregnant state to the non-pregnant state. of those women are going to suffer from a postpartum depression as well. Uh, So, this is a very difficult time for a lot of women as far as mental health go. Uh, So, I would certainly consider it a big failure if I had a patient come back to me and say that she felt that, uh, you know, she was either pushed into it or didn't have time to make the make a a decision this large, so I I certainly, uh, in my prenatal care, uh, start talking right away uh, about uh, whether or not you want to be sterilized at time of delivery, and that's going to include mothers who are planning on having a vaginal delivery because you just never know what kind of tricks these babies are going to pull uh, and not want to come out the normal way. Uh, and uh, maybe you won 't have the full nine months like you would with a pregnancy, uh, but for a woman that 's either coming to you because she, or coming to a surgeon because she wants to be sterilized, or a woman that 's having a, another procedure done, perhaps a surgery for pelvic pain or abnormal bleeding, who you 're thinking would be a great candidate to to perform a self injectomy at the same time, you want to make sure they really understand what 's going on, uh, and you want to give these women as much time as possible to consider this, these decisions um, and uh, uh, you know, this is going to be a very, very important part of counseling patients.
0: And, Doctor, what about the age of a woman? Let's, say, let's just take as an example a, a 30-year-old woman who's had, well, to say three kids and says, you know what, I want you to remove my uh, tubes. Is that something, I mean, would that be different as, let's say, a, a woman who's 40 or 45 or um
1: well, you, you're really approaching the, the very limits of reproduction at 45 years of age. Um, so, you know, roughly speaking, uh, most women will be fertile until 35. Almost all women will be infertile at 45. Uh, between 35 and 45, most women will lose their fertility. Um, so a, a, a woman who's uh, 45 or 46, uh, I wouldn't think really needs a, a tubal ligation surgery. The odds of her still being fertile would be almost astronomically low. Um, as for a woman's right to, to choose, I would, I would agree that any woman who's of adult age has the right to be sterilized if she wants to. Uh, now, as I said, counseling is so important. This is not something to spring on a woman or force her to make in a short period of time. Uh, but if a woman's made a well-thought-out decision, Uh, ahead of time I I wouldn't base my decision at at all based on how many children she has or or her age as long as she's an adult.
0: Now you're okay you're the director of the Marshawn Institute for Minimally Invasive Surgery which we've been talking about and I'm assuming that's state of the art. Are there places in the United States that one shouldn't have the surgery done? I, I don't know if you really can answer that question or maybe I should put it in a more positive way. Are there other are there a lot of places a lot of um, medical centers that are doing this kind of surgery, and that the doctors are well trained, as you say, you have to start in medical school uh, training them for the whole gestalt of this surgery
1: um, again, yeah, I wish I had uh, more concrete numbers for you but but that is the main focus of our uh, campaign of awareness here uh, that there's a lot of places where doctors who uh, who trained a long time ago are still just tying tubes, and uh, if you don't ask questions, if you don't say, you know, hey, am I a candidate for, uh, for this tube removal, uh, it, it's very possible that this OBGYN, maybe it's the OBGYN that you've been seeing for decades, then um, you're getting a cesarean section now, and he just says you want your tubes tied at the same, he or she says you want your tubes tied at the same time, uh, you say yes, and then the, uh, you know, the opportunity to perform that self-injectomy is lost. Um, so it's a campaign of awareness both for women to speak up for themselves and say, uh, you know, hey, do you perform self injectomies? can you uh if not, should I be seeing somebody who who can remove my tubes instead of tying them? Uh, and it's a campaign for surgeons to see that uh, you know we need to move on from this uh, uh this uh old technique uh, that doesn't give this benefit to women and move on to the new technique that gives women uh, the decreased risk of ovarian cancer.
0: Yeah. I think not everybody's aware that medicine is best practices at the time and best practices change and they change sometimes quite quickly uh, in, in t- 20 years. So it's really important, what you're saying is to be informed and to be able to know how to ask the right questions. That's cr- I mean, you have to really, I think as in any surgery, but we're talking about women in particular, you have to know the questions to ask. Like you say, you have to be informed and maybe- I don't know if this is what you're saying, if you have a doctor, it's probably not fair, who's 60 years old, who's been doing the same thing for 30 years, um, is not going to be able to give you the answers that you need, and you may have to uh, get a second opinion or um, get more information. Is that true? The younger doctors probably would be more informed when we're talking about this than, than the older ones.
1: Well, I think the uh, ones that are more recently trained will be trained in the newer techniques. Um, but I know plenty of surgeons in their uh, in their fifties and sixties uh, who are keeping up with up to date techniques. Uh, you know, who are going to all the conferences, reading all the journals, uh, and uh, you know, and really stay up to date. Uh, so uh, you don't have to have graduated recently uh, to keep your nose in the books and uh, know what's in the cutting edge of medicine to give the best to your patients.
0: Yeah. Well, I've always, you know, when, uh, it, family, friends, you, talking about surgeons, uh, it's like, oh, I like a surgeon between the age of 45 and, and 60, because they're going to have a lot of experiences, a lot of experience, but they're very, they're young, but they're also experienced, and then you kind of get the best of both. I don't know if that's true.
1: Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, I, I certainly see what you mean there. They wouldn't be so young that they've, uh, uh, that they're inexperienced. Um, but they're not so old that you think maybe they're starting to forget some things. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very interesting well, way many, to look at it. How
0: many surgeries should, have, let's bold well, in this case, how many surgeries should a physician have done these kinds of surgeries, where well that you would say would be somebody who would be or should be um, really good at it. I mean, you don't want to go to somebody who's done it twenty times, do you?
1: <laughs> i don't think anyone who's uh i don't think anybody who's uh, done an o b g y n residency is only gonna have done it twenty times so uh unless you're going to a uh, you know a hospital or a residency program where you're literally gonna be uh, uh receiving some of your care from people who are still in training uh I don't think it's gonna be possible <laughs> to see somebody who's done that few of them. Um, uh, now, as, as far as the learning curve of how long it takes a surgeon to, to become a, a good at a surgery, proficient at a surgery, that's going to be very dependent on what surgery we're talking about. Uh, you were talking about robotic surgery a little while ago, and that's one where you really want to find a surgeon who's, who's done hundreds or thousands of them, uh, You know, because there is such a steep learning curve. Uh, but to be honest, removing the fallopian tubes versus tying the fallopian tubes is really not all that difficult of a procedure, uh, especially if you're having done it time of cesarean section when the when the field is open, the tubes are right there. Um, so, so I don't think it's as important in this case. It's just a, it's just very important to spread awareness that we should be removing the tubes and not tying them.
0: Well, for robotic surgery, maybe you need a a surgeon who has played a lot of those video games, as you mentioned. So that would be a a younger crowd. Um, uh, Sort of half kidding. But uh, we only have a couple minutes left. So very interesting topic and very informative. Um, So where can we go, doctor, to get more information? Because you're talking about trying to get the word out there to women, not just the medical community website and or websites we can go to.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has a committee opinion all about this, uh, talking about opportunistic self-injectomy uh, or going ahead and removing the tubes every chance we get as opposed to tying them. Uh, you can find more at their website, which is acogacog.org. Um, and of course, my institute is completely dedicated to a minimally invasive surgery and bringing the advances of minimally invasive surgery to women. Uh, you can check out our website at marchoninstitute.org
0: Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Dr. Greg Marchand, Director of the Marchand Institute for Minimally Invasive Surgery. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.